Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Where are we? We are in Disley. We're on the edge of the Peak District. So the Brickworks climb is just a couple of miles that way. And then if you go down the hill, you end up on the main road into Manchester. And who are you? I'm Sarah Story, and I ride for Story Racing. Dame Sarah Story. Ah, yes. (laughs) I'm Dame Sarah Story. (laughs) Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Well, we're gonna do a, a short but hilly ride. It's a, a ride I do if I don't have a lot of time. If something's happened with one of the kids or um, you know, one of the sponsors or emails or whatever, but you can go quite short, quite hard. I think there's about 1,200 metres of climbing in about an hour and a half. Whoa. Um, I'm not quite at hour and a half speed yet. Charlie's only just five and a half months old. Um, so, yeah, this is a short but sharp ride, uh, and I can always extend it as well. There's plenty of little loops I can do off of this, so we'll see how we get on. Yeah, and let's see if we can talk all the way around 1,200 metres of climbing in an hour and a half. That's, that's severe. It is pretty severe. It's also got some sharp drops as well, which is good. If you get a, a, a new bike or whatever, you can go and throw it around those corners and you know your level from your previous bikes. If you're not happy with something, you can come back off the ride and you've, you've really given it a drilling, as it were. Right, let's have a go. Come on, then. First pothole of the day. Yeah. Right outside right. there. It's so exciting. We're now climbing out of Disney. What's the gradient of this? 4%, it's not too tricky. But we're getting right into the peaks immediately, aren't we? It's a beautiful view and the weather's it's a bit grey, but I'll tell you what, there's a little bit of sunshine shining through on those peaks over there. That's Kinder Scout. That looks like the, with the, the, the dip in the middle. Yeah. And on a really wild day, the Kinder Downfall, which is the waterfall at the top, that upfalls, it, it shoots up. It looks like it's uh, a firework, so still got snow on the top of there. That might stay until June. And farmyard smells filling my nostrils around here, definitely in the countryside. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> and it's really, it's, it's real cycling country. So many cyclists. Yeah, I can see. And lots and lots of clubs and club runs. So it's Wednesday. We'll probably see some out. There's quite a few retired people who get out on the bikes together. People sneaking a day off work. And others that should be probably working, yeah. (laughs) Have you always lived round here, then? 
I've always lived in South Manchester. I was born in Manchester in a hospital that's no longer there, and we lived in Cheadle Hume till I was about 18 months old. And then we moved to Disley, and apart from 10 years when I was away at university and living in Eccles for swimming, I've always lived in Disney. My parents still live here. So in the village, there's a bike to commemorate the, the gold medals Barney and I won in London. Yeah. And then there's two gold post boxes as well. For both of you? One for me and one for Barney, yeah. Because for those who don't know, Barney is a pilot, isn't he? So he rides at the front of a tandem on the track. Yeah, Barney piloted the tandem for three Paralympic Games. The Games is where we met in 2004. And prior to his tandem career, he was an elite road rider as well. Yeah. Uh, Specialising in bunch finishes, usually led out by his brother. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's very much the cyclist in his blood. And when we met, that was undoubtedly had an influence on it. Getting into, into my blood, I used to absolutely love going out on rides with him when I was learning the ropes. Yeah. But look, prior to that, let's go back to when you were born in that hospital that's no longer there. And you were born with a hand that wasn't fully formed, right? Yeah. And so how did it, how did you sort of become aware that that was the case? Or, or did it take a long time? Was it the kind of thing your mum and dad didn't, you know, didn't draw attention to? What, what was it like growing up? It was something that no one really made a big deal out of. Yeah. Um, it was obviously a surprise to my parents. Nothing showed up on scans. Scans weren't as detailed. If there was even a scan then, I can't remember. But my grandma worked with what's the, now the Cerebral Palsy Society, I think. Yeah. And she dealt with all different forms of impairment, um, in, uh, intellectual disability. So she was quite used to, to differences, I suppose. And, she was very pragmatic, very practical lady, and she said, this won't affect her, and then the doctors backed that up. They said, oh, she'll never be a concert pianist, but she might not want to be anyway. <laughs> so, no, it was never made a big deal out of, and I just went to school and did all the sports anyone would do, learned to swim when I was four. It was only when I watched a TV, like, news thing about a girl with one arm. Yeah. That I started to think about whether there was sport for people who didn't have all the arms and legs, as it were. Yes. How old were you when you became aware of it, do you think? I can't really remember, to be honest. I was obviously aware of it from being three or four years old. Yeah. But I learned to swim without any issues. It's funny, primary school children always want to know if you're going to go round in a circle yeah. because you're only pulling properly with one side. Yeah, it was never anything that was a major issue. Um, and I just, I just kind of got on with it. And it was only really when I started to compete uh, in the town club at Stockport Metro that I realised I was a bit slower than everyone else. And, that's, and I was also, I was catching them up, but I was always, I was always like three months behind them. And I used to miss out on national qualifying times and everyone would go off to the national age groups and I would be left. So I suppose it was about 12 years old when I just happened to watch this news thing about a, a girl who was hoping to go to the Paralympics in 92. And that was going to be, I think, two or three years later. 
So I suppose it was only really from then, and it was a bit of it was a bit of luck really that I got into the right place at the right time because yeah. there was no system back then to get people channeled into the into the performance system because there wasn't really a performance system. It was just. Uh, British Paralympic Association coordinated all the sports and all the sports were operated under the disability heading rather than under the sports heading. Okay. So wheelchair races all operated out of Stoke Mandeville. So you've just been lumped in with anybody with any different disability? Yeah, and amputees and lazotra, the others like me, who didn't have a definitive kind of umbrella, were out of Fox Hollies in Birmingham. Blind, British Blind Sport, uh, CP Sport, which does still operate. So everyone was very segmented and it was not about sport, it was really more like the impairment was the, the first uh, definition of, of what you were. Oh, that's amazing thinking about that now, isn't it, compared to how things operate now. Especially, especially as and I'm so used to watching you racing other women, yeah. whether they have a disability or not. You know, it's amazing to think that they would just lump everybody in because of disability rather than sport back then. Yeah, I mean, each sport had its own categories and, and classification. Yeah. So you weren't racing unfairly. No. But it, in terms of the structure of how it worked, it was, you know, that was the starting point. And I suppose it goes back to the Stoke Mandeville days, the first Paralympic Games in 1948, where it was just about people who were in the hospital in wheelchairs who'd come back from the war and were injured. And it stayed like that until 1993. Yeah. And in 1993, it started to become about, about the sport first. So we called it pan-disability. Um, it wasn't about one disability. It was about all swimmers with a disability in one, in one organization. And then in 1997, we came under the umbrella of British swimming. I'm not sure of the timeline of cycling, because by the time I got to it, cycling was very much underneath the British cycling umbrella. And I think all of that happened in the 1990s when they were trying to work out if the velodrome would be a white elephant. <laughs> so, I mean, when you sort of became aware of it, you saw that piece by that little girl on TV, did that spur you on? Or were you already motivated anyway? Was there something in it that made you think, I'm going to prove people wrong, that kind of thing? Yeah, I'd always wanted to be an athlete and know what it, was, it felt like to be on, on the podium for your country. So I was already working as hard as I possibly could. But I, I asked my coach at the time, who happened to have... He, he was deaf um, and he, he'd, he'd swum in the Deaf Olympics. How does one go about this? And I had to write a letter to this lady who sadly is no longer around. And every time I did a personal best time in the pool, I wrote her another letter. And it took her 18 months to reply to me. <laughs> and, 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 and the reply was quite short and sweet. We've got a swimming gala in two weeks, uh, wherever it was, I can't yeah. remember. Please come along, it's the national, it's where we'll choose the national championships team. And that was it, really. It was a bit daunting, I think. And the idea that I'd gone from being the fastest swimmer in the school to maybe a GB cap in the space of just a few years. But being in school, you must have attracted attention for that. 
Did you feel, did you enjoy the attention? Did you feel self-conscious about it? What was that like? Before I went to the games, everyone at school was sort of quite like, oh, wow, what's this all about? But people hadn't really heard of the Paralympics. So it was only when I was plastered over the local newspapers that people perhaps realised how big it was. And when I came home from those first games, it was good to start with, but then there's quite a lot of jealousy creeping in. It's unnecessary. There's quite a lot of jealousy creeping in with people thinking, or girls especially, wondering why I was training so much, arriving at school with wet hair, after morning training, and yeah, it wasn't very pleasant. I came back from Barcelona into year 10, so I had two years until I could leave school. Mum and Dad said, well, your sports career can last a lot longer than school. So I just got my head down and did my work and survived through the school day and then go training and, and go away on the trips where my, what were considered my real friends to be, I suppose. Um, and there were a few people at school who were absolutely lovely. And obviously I'm still in touch with those. But it was quite difficult to be a walking conversation stopper or to be in the loo and have a group of girls come in gossiping about you or whatever. So, yeah, I suppose it just drove me on that I didn't want to lose my sport for the sake of people who wanted me to hang out on a street corner. Yeah. How long did you compete in the pool and how much did you win? So I was a swimmer from... Well, when did I start? 1988, I started training. I'd been at a school swimming club until that point. So I, I did four Paralympic Games and I won over 120 national titles. I think it was 68 world records, five Paralympic gold medals, six world titles, 18 European championships. You could have just retired and called it a day and you'd have still been made a dame, no doubt. People don't realise I was a swimmer because I was Sarah Bailey. Yes. And I was not long in cycling when I married Barney, so, so Sarah Bailey was the swimmer and Sarah Story is the cyclist. How was it making the switch? Had you thought, I'm done with cycling, I've had enough of it, I'm sick of it? Or did you just think, I, I want a new challenge, something else to do? No, it started out that I was cycling to keep fit because I wasn't allowed to swim. And cycling was just a way of keeping my heart and lungs moving without running. Um, and I'd, I'd started... I'd, I'd started to get back into training after the Games in Athens by going to Australia in the winter at the end of 2004. And while I was out there, I picked up an ear infection. And then it went from one ear to the other, just constantly for six months. So I was in and out of the pool like a yo-yo. And my final two swimming competitions, my final one was at the US Nationals. And I got on the plane and I got off the plane and I knew I had another ear infection. Oh. And by the end of the trip, I had two because I just, I wanted to race, so I was fed up for not racing. And so I raced through, got back to the UK and got told off by the doctor. He said, right, this is, this is not good because your ears are so damaged from the infections. If, if the ear canal continues to swell, one day it might never go down. 
of that is you go deaf. So it was a bit of a wake-up call. I bet. That I could cause permanent damage. Because it's like, oh, ear infection, you know. <laughs> Get Therefore, what's this? So I, uh, I had to have an indefinite amount of time out of the water. And at that, that point, I'd been doing a bit of track just to mix it up a bit. Just for fun? Yeah. And British Cycling offered me a trial over 3K with a view to going to the Europeans. Is that purely off the back of you being such uh, a talented athlete already? Or did they see something in you on the track? They thought, hang on, she's um, pretty good at this. Probably just a punt, really. I don't think I look very good on the track at that point. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, it was the start of the, the talent transfer vibe. I think I was the first one. They were looking at whether athletes who'd come to the natural end of their life in one sport could go into another and, and be as good or better. The sun's trying to come out, isn't it? But it's uh, pretty damp. Yeah, this sort of valley gets a reasonable amount of rain. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So where are we right now? Where are we heading? We're headed towards the top of Long Hill. So the men's tour of Britain came down this way. I think maybe the women's did as well. Um, in the last few years, it's a National Hill Climb route in 2010, but it takes you to the top of Long Hill before, before you descend into either the Goit Valley, which is down there, or over into Buxton. Do you ever think, you know what, I fancy living abroad and having the sunshine and more options, or is there some sort of appeal in these grippy roads? even when it's a grey, wet day like today. I guess living the dream abroad is, is one idea, but I like the backup and the support we've got at home. You know, you, you can't beat the medical backup you have. You know, the GP down at the bottom of the hill, the NHS, unless you've got private medical insurance abroad, you know, you don't have that kind of backup and that security. Just basic things like 
getting your flu jab or having a smear test or there's so many real life things as well. Yeah. And I've always, I've never minded traveling and basing myself abroad for short periods, but I call this home and I, I, I could in one sense see myself living abroad, but then I think actually no, everything and everyone I love are here and not seeing them for months on end, it wouldn't be me. <laughs> You say you're getting stronger on the bike, but there's no denying we're all getting that little bit older and life plays a part in other ways. You're a mum of two now. Do you, with that in mind, do you sort of find yourself loving being around here even more? Or do you ever think, you know, I've got itchy feet and I want to give the kids a different upbringing? How does it, how does it affect the way you think about being where you are? Well, my daughter's just started in the school that I was at and my parents still live in the house where I grew up. And I grew up with my grandparents. Hi, Steve. I grew up with my grandparents just around the corner. So Louise and Charlie have that too. And so no, it makes me have less itchy feet, if anything. <laughs> Louise is so subtle and she enjoys travelling, but she also enjoys coming home, so... I think we've got the best of both worlds. And mum and dad, round the corner, like dad's, dad will do the cooking on, you know, maybe three nights a week, even now. For you? Yeah. No way. So you, that's just, it, it's immeasurable, that support. And having that for the kids and that, the benefit of having the extra adult attention and, yeah. and time. And you, 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 can't, you can't put a price on time with family. Your dad sounds like an absolute diamond cooking three times a week. I wish I had someone do that for me. Yeah, yeah, I can't. I owe my parents everything, really. If it wasn't for their unwavering support, they, they come to everything. All the major internationals. I think there's only one event they missed. And that was when I raced in Colombia with the Team Pursuit my last team pursuit in the World Cup. And that's the only international race I think they've missed. We talk about switching from swimming to cycling, but what about in cycling, switching to and from riding against other competitors with disabilities and also riding against able-bodied women as well? How's that been? When I was a swimmer, I just existed in a club that was for non-disabled swimmers. Or just the swimmers. Yeah. There was a few of us who were also part of the para-swim team, but it was just a circumstance. So when I started cycling, there was no races in the UK for just para-cyclists, or not many. And certainly, there's no peloton of C5 riders in the UK to race. No. So I just started by building up from, from local races on the track and then started doing a few national series and then national series on the track and then gradually got my confidence and, and started to, to race abroad. I think my first professional race was in 2010 at GP Dossigny, which is the day after Tour of Flanders. So I think it was, it was just about the best way to learn the ropes of the sport and to put myself out of my comfort zone. And you would have been racing against other 
cyclists who didn't know that you had a disability, what was it like when they perhaps noticed that your bars are different, for example? I guess the first thing was a bit of surprise. I remember mainly in the foreign races, girls coming up to me and going, so how do you do this? How do you not fall off? How, how do you manage to fool us that you're operating two gears and two sets of gears and two brakes? Just more curiosity, really. And, and then if there was ever a commissaire that was like, oh, no, no, because it was something he'd not come across, they would stand up for me and say, of course you can race, you know? Don't be so silly. Sarah's one of us. So that was always really nice. But do you ever get any negative responses? People saying, hang on, you do all these races with everyone else. Why are you riding in the Paralympics? Do you ever get any naysayers like that? Not from within the peloton. No. Only from their trolls on Twitter. Yeah. Or people who don't understand about sport. They don't think I'm at a disadvantage because, um, you know, everyone thinks cycling is just about your legs. Yes. And they forget, you know, the handling of a bike is, is almost more important, certainly in certain road races, being able to brake independently and change gear with one hand whilst braking with the other. Yeah. That's huge. So I think there's a lot of people, especially around the time of London, where it wasn't obvious what was wrong in the Verti commas. Um, and also when people assume that because I'm in that disability bracket, I must be taking benefits or something. Right. Really? So, so that yeah, ignorance? There's a lot of ignorance around it. But within cycling, there's just a lot of respect and people are happy to race and let the best legs win. <laughs> oh, hang on a second. This is a great shot here. Oh. And I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> it's harder than you think climbing steady, That is a steady climb. So we're at the top of Long Hill now. Yeah. It's a great view. So this is all sort of moorland, isn't it? It's yeah. not. Moorland and then you can you can see it was no railway line. When we cut over the top, you can see the old railway line and it used to drag the stuff out of Manchester to the to the mills in the peaks, so I'm um, trying to remember the name of them now, but or just use railway lines and they connect it up to the canal network to move things around. If you look over there, you've got the top of the cat and fiddle. Oh, that's famous. Famous, also one I avoid, it's just deadly, um, crazy. Well, first road that gets closed around here when it snows. But yeah, it's all lumpy and, and then if you drop over the hill that way, you're into Buxton and then a race we do on Good Friday in Longner, and that's kind of real, real peak district. Okay, there's quite a bit of cloud cover today. The sun is shining down on us a little bit now, but I imagine when you're into spring properly and getting into summer, this is just, you know, on a, on a nice light evening, riding up here must be just brilliant. Oh, it's absolutely superb. You, you, you can't get a better place. This part of the world, when the sun's shining, is the best place in the world. I think the only place that kind of comes close is Maybe the hillier parts of California, like Yosemite and Lake Tahoe and Big Bear Lake, those sort of areas. But I think this is comparable. I mean, that climb, you know, you can, you can do reps up there. It's great for descending 
um, as well. You can see all the way over to um, Leeds that way and Home Moss. Um, yeah, like I say, over the way over to the Cat and Fiddle and then down into Staffordshire over there. It, it, it's just magic, it really is. Yeah, you've got it all here. Life comes along, doesn't it? It affects men and women as well. It affects whether you have a disability or not, as the case may be. But it's undeniable. It's, it's, a, it's a, a real change, giving birth to children, giving birth to two of them. Um, how has that affected, affected your outlook? Well, the kids come first, and that's always been the case. Um, and I always knew that would be the case, but um, having a supportive family meant that we could do both. And the travelling, um, I didn't know how it would work until the children came along, but it just seemed the obvious thing to take them with us. Uh, and Louisa breastfed till she was three and a half, so it wasn't really practical to leave her for any more than you know, one, one day or one night. Um, so it meant that the first time I was away from her was the night we flew home from Rio. <laughs> Um, and it was kind of just circumstantial because I couldn't get on her flight and she couldn't get on my flight. Um, so, no, it was just, it's just about kind of coming across each of the logistical challenges and solving them as they come along. Um, but I never imagined that I'd still be an athlete when I had kids, so that was never part of the, the plan, if there was a plan. Um, but it does change your life, and when you have to make difficult decisions, they're always the first thought. And I find myself on training rides now really missing Charlie because I've been... I was with him, like, I'm with him all the time, like we're constantly attached and, you know, just that three or four hours, the longer ride, you're like, oh, where is he? What's he doing? <laughs> is there a photo? Yeah. Let's not get distracted. Um, but it's a nice distraction as well. I think people go home and stew about, you know, was that ride good? Was it bad? Was that race good? Was that race bad? Whereas I go home and I'm like full on mum, like, are we going swimming? Are we going to gymnastics? So it's a welcome distraction mm. from it then. Yeah. I think it's a really healthy distraction. Yeah. And I think it's helped me be a, a better athlete mentally as well because it's it's not real life sport it's it's an added bonus so i think that's been really good because again it's undeniable when you're an elite athlete you have to be quite selfish in a way is it hard juggling those things you know was it easier perhaps when you were on your own before you met barney and then before you had the kids i think it's a yin and yang like it is the most selfish thing you can do be an athlete and get your body to that prime condition but then you kind of have that time of the day where that is completely about you and Barney has to take over and it's hands on deck for the kids for him. And then the rest of the time, I have to be the selfless person because it's all about what's important for them. And then um, the run up to the hour record, for example, Louisa got um, a vomiting virus. So I spent two or three nights not sleeping with her slept on top of me, trying to avoid <laughs> the inevitable um, and then having to get on a train and hope she was all right. Um, and, and go and race the, go and ride the hour record and, and just miss it. And you think, well, it, it, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Like, that was what it was. The, the, there was. There was nothing I could change. You go with the flow and, you know, we, we, we obsess about sleep as athletes as well until you have kids and then you realise that the way you used to obsess about sleep was just really unhealthy because you didn't need to obsess that much because it is possible to function. But I think when you don't have that experience, you don't... You, don't, you do need to obsess because at the time that's the most important thing. But when something more important comes along, massages and sleep, they are the things that get pushed to the bottom of the they pile. Go out of the yeah. yeah. Righty. Which way? Down this way here. This is quite steep. Yeah, it's all quite steep around here. Yeah. There's a few little turns and dodgy bits of road. Okay. I'll follow you. Yep. Yeah.
looking beyond the Paralympic Games in Tokyo. And the kids will be at school then, both of them. And you might decide to put your feet up. What else would you like to do with your life? I don't know. <laughs> um, it's all been about competition and training for so long. I'd love to be able to devote time to what Louisa and Charlie want to do and to be in a position to give them the very best support for their activities, whatever they do. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure, I've not, I've not got to grips with that. <laughs> I perhaps should think about it at some point. Maybe someone should make me an idea or I want to stay in sport. Maybe, maybe it could be the chef de mission or work with kids. I was always going to go and be a teacher. So Still maybe, could. Still could. Yeah. So maybe I'll go and do my PGCE and teach. Not, not sure. I think whatever you do, it's obvious you'll be dedicated to it, though. Yeah, that's a work ethic is one thing that has always been drilled into me from being very young. I can tell. I've seen you going up those climbs today. <laughs> Sarah, it's been brilliant talking to you. Thanks so much. Thank you, Matt. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.